John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And joining us, Nick Wagner from ESPN.com, covers the 49ers. And uh, I don't know, Nick, uh, when you're comparing notes with uh, you know your colleagues, or, uh, my ex-colleagues from Philadelphia and uh, Dallas and Sandy, or the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, how, how do you compare the, the injury stuff that you, you four people have had to go through? Because I don't think I've ever seen as many injuries. You know, I keep track of missed starts and all that stuff. And it's absolutely brutal. What's going on with these four teams? Yeah, I, uh, I, I've, I've personally, and, and you know, I've seen some of that stuff, you know, especially Philly because the Forty ers played them. But uh, you know, just from from being on the ground here in, in the Bay Area, I've never seen anything like what the Forty ers are going through in my since my seventeenth year covering the league. I've never seen anything like it. Um, it's it's really something, and it's. You know they had a they had a little uh, window last year where it seemed like they lost a, a key player or starter or like one one every week, but but they weren't like you know big long injuries. And um, th- this year it seems like it's multiple guys every week, and and they are you know guys that are going on IR. You know it's you almost shudder to think what would happen if they didn't have the short term IR this year because they would be just so low on players. You would have to make a lot of tough decisions. So. Yeah, it, they've they've been hit very hard. To their credit, they've kind of fought through it, particularly here over the last couple of weeks. But um, I, I imagine it's very difficult for them to to find that kind of continuity that they're looking for when they have so many moving pieces all the time. Well, let's kind of go through the impact of the injuries because again, you know, it started at first with the wide receivers, and it really it started before the start of training camp because uh, you know you had you know. Jimmy G and a whole bunch of like what 15, 18 players, you know, go out to Nashville and end up, uh, you know, getting, you know, I think what Richie James got hurt. Uh, mm-hmm. You got the Jones fracture on Debo Samuel. I mean, it started there. Yeah. And so uh, talk about the how diminished has the receiving core be because Samuel, who started the season on IR, came off and now is back on IR. Uh, what's left of wide receiver? Yeah, and, and and Samuel is is not back on IR yet, and I don't think I don't think they're going to do that at least for for right yeah. now. But uh, it sounds like his his injury is probably going to keep him out a couple of games uh, this this week this weekend in Seattle and then Green Bay. But yeah, that that position, you know, they lost Jalen Hurd, who was you know hasn't really had an opportunity yet because of injuries to show himself in the league. But somebody that they're excited about, he was a third round pick a couple of years ago and hasn't even played in a, in a regular season game yet. Uh, Richie James is dealing with an ankle issue right now, so. You know, they were already kind of thin in terms of, of wide receiver. That wasn't necessarily a position where they were loaded with proven commodities. And now you take away Debo Samuel, who really, to me, John, is, is, was kind of becoming one of the, the guys that really makes the whole thing go offensively just because he's so versatile and they can use him in so many different ways. And, and that's kind of what Kyle Shanahan has tried to build here. Um, it really took a lot of pressure off of Brandon Ayuk, the first first-round receiver who had his first 100-yard game last week. I don't think it was a coincidence that when you know Kittle and Samuel were on the field, you saw Ayuk start to take uh, a step forward. So yeah, that, that position has been hit hard. Obviously, the Nick Bosa injury is the biggest one because it was a season ender, and because I would argue he was probably one of the three guys on the team they could least afford to lose. Um, and and it's really completely changed the complexion of how they play defense. And for right now, it's been okay. But uh, as the schedule toughens up here in the next few weeks, they're really going to be put to the test in that way. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, how how would you define this, uh, the pass rush right now? I mean, how good has it been or how weak has it been You know, with Boza out, Solomon Thomas out, and also uh, D Ford out? 
Yeah, yeah, and also DeForest Buckner traded to the yeah. Colts, so they, you know, there are a lot of a lot of key missing pieces there. It, it hasn't been that good, John. You know, it hasn't been terrible. I, I think you meant you would probably expect it maybe to drop off a little more than it has, but it has changed what they do in terms of you know this is a defense, and everyone in Seattle knows it too because Robert Sala runs a very similar scheme to what, what Pete Carroll's been doing forever there. You know, they lean heavily on being able to create pass rush with just their front four. And they, they really are doing it. They aren't able to do that on a consistent basis. You know, they're, they're getting better production from, you know, lesser known guys like Kerry Hyder than I think people would probably expect. But it's not the same. You know, this is a team that was built around that pass rush. And when you remove it, uh, it changes everything. So they're blitzing at a much higher rate than they were a year ago. I think they're in the top 10 in the league in terms of uh, blitz percentage on, on dropbacks. And so it, it really has changed everything that they do. And it's putting a lot more onus on their secondary, which, you know, a few weeks ago against Miami, that, that came back to bite them. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, you would say the secondary has really stepped forward now that they're actually getting a little bit healthier, at least at corner they are, uh, even though they're missing their two safeties right now. So uh, it's been a lot of moving pieces on both sides of the ball. Uh, but again, defensively, without that pass rush, it's, it's really changed everything that they're doing, and they're really going to get, get uh, you know, put to the test here the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no doubt. What, what do you see as far as the secondary? Because again, Richard Sherman's not going to come off the injured list. Last week, two safeties were down, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe one returns. I mean, how weak are they, or how strong are they still in the secondary? Well, I'll say this, John, and I don't know if it's if it's getting enough attention nationally. Maybe it will if it continues, particularly when the, when the talent of the the talent on the other side gets better. But Jason Verrett is one of the best stories in the league right now that no, that that people aren't really talking about uh, in terms of comeback player of the year and and all those kinds of things. He's playing at a really, really high level, kind of playing like the guy who was, you know, a pro bowler in 2000, I think it was 15 or 16, and and I think it's 15, and, and now he's, he's kind of back at that level after playing, I think he's played six games over the last four years, uh, just been devastated by injuries, and now he's back doing it. So he's, he's actually been a, a godsend for them in a lot of ways. You could argue that other than Fred Warner, he's probably been their best defensive player. Uh, so far this season, Emmanuel Mosley is back from that concussion. I think there's a chance they're going to get Kwan Williams, their nickel cornerback, this weekend in Seattle. So they feel, I think they have to feel pretty good about what they have at corner right now. The big question is, like you mentioned, the safeties. Jimmy Ward had that quad injury last week that kind of caught everybody by surprise. He practiced yesterday on a limited basis, so there's at least a chance he'll be back. If not, I think they feel okay with Tarvarius Moore, who's a former third-round pick stepping in there and playing. Um, and then at strong safety, it looks like Chikwaski Tart's probably going to miss another week, which means Marcel Harris uh, will get another opportunity. And, and you know, I don't, I, I think he's in, he's okay. He's, he's fine in the box. You don't necessarily want to see him much in coverage. But, uh, yeah, it, it seems like whenever one thing gets better, something else uh, gets taken away. And that's kind of the, the balancing act that they're dealing with in 2020 right now. Talk a little bit about, uh, you know, Robert Sala, who I think, you know, former Seahawk coach who's up probably for head coaching opportunities next year. But he incorporated with the cornerbacks a little bit of the college things that you're going because, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a thing with like uh, Jason Barrett, who has done such a good job. I mean, what, he's the uh, the field cornerback and the other guy right. on the other side is going to be the, was it the boundary quarterback? or whatever. Boundary. Yeah, yes, boundary, the boundary. Yeah. So explain that because it's a little bit different, and you know, basically, it's based on you know where the hash marks are. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's interesting that like, that's one of the big tweaks that he's made. Is you know, everyone in Seattle knows kind of the hallmark of, of these defense has always been you know just play cover three. You know, it's it's a single high safety, strong safety comes down in the box, two corners on the outside play zone, and he's mixed it up a little bit more. And I think the idea is just that uh, you know he, he he's able to trust. 
Jason Verrett to do a little bit more. Emmanuel Mosley is a little more comfortable in, in that role. And also, I think it creates more opportunities for them to kind of move some of their safeties around and do different things that way, as well as blitzing linebackers and using them uh, in different ways uh, rather than just dropping seven into coverage and rushing that front four. And again, all of that kind of spins off of what they have on the defensive line right now, which isn't the same. And so uh, I think that's a tweak that he and that he felt needed to be made just so he can kind of vary and mix up his coverages uh, a little bit more than he maybe had in the past because it's a lot easier to just say, okay, we're going to play cover three when the front four can get home on a consistent basis. But when you have to dial up pressure, uh, you need to find ways to, to confuse offenses and provide them different looks on the back end so that it can maybe make that or get by that extra tick of a second to get for that pressure to get home. And then finally, I guess a couple of weeks ago, people, I think, wrongfully were thinking, oh, yeah, the uh, 49ers are ready to give up on Jimmy Garoppolo. But I think so much of it was that the fact that I think Kyle Shanahan made a mistake playing him with that first week of that, or, you know, too early with the high ankle sprain. Right. But where is Jimmy Garoppolo as far as how the organization feels about him and how's he playing? Yeah, he's certainly healthier, and and there's no doubt that Miami game was uh, it was a disaster on all fronts, and nobody at the 49ers is uh, denying that. You know, pretty much everyone there uses the word embarrassment whenever that game comes up. But yeah, he he probably came back a little bit too soon. He clearly wasn't able to push off of that back foot, um, and and over the last couple of weeks, he's been a lot better. And you know, I know the numbers last week were a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe off kilter. They they won so handily, but you know he had two interceptions, which kind of brought the passer rating down and all that kind of stuff. But I thought he was he was really solid in that game. One of those interceptions was on a hail mary at the end of the half. So uh, that's one of those where the numbers might be a little bit deceiving. But I will still say this: I, I think that at this point, you know, the, the the odds are better than not that he's going to continue to be the quarterback moving into the future. But I do think there are still questions that he has to answer, and and I think you're going to find the answers to a lot of those good or bad over the next, you know, four or five weeks. They play the Seahawks on Sunday, obviously, and then they play the Packers on Thursday night next week, and then the following week they go to New Orleans. And so this is a three-game stretch where I think you're going to see them in games more where it's a little bit more of a shootout, and the onus is going to be a little bit more on Jimmy Garoppolo to push the ball down the field. Um, it's something that he hasn't been asked to do a lot of, and they've been able to get away with it. But without Debo Samuel, that's one of those guys who is really good with yards after the catch. You can just get the ball in his hands in short area space, and then he makes something happen if you take that away. So now, the, again, that pushes back on what can Jimmy Garoppolo do in terms of getting the ball down the field. And we've seen him do it before, John. And, you know, you go back to last year, that shootout that he won in New Orleans, one of the, one of the better games of the regular season last year. He's shown that he can do it, but can he do it this year? And can he do it without, you know, potentially without Debo Samuel and with so many moving pieces that he has around him? Uh, those are questions that I think he needs to answer. And, and I think that if he's able to answer them in the affirmative, it's only going to solidify his position as this team's quarterback moving forward. I guess the only thing that's positive right now is the fact that uh, every beat writer in the country is pretty much working mostly from home and, of course, is healthy because they're not like the four teams that we mentioned with injuries. Everybody's pretty healthy, as, and I, as I know you are, Nick. Hey, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. Okay, and of course, uh, you know, make sure that uh, be sure to check out the professors. Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. Listen to seven the show on seven ten sports dot com and the seven ten sports app. It is powered by the Dubin Law Group. That's on the seven ten sports app. Coming up next, we get out the report card. This is the John Clayton Show, seven ten ESPN Seattle. It's time for. 
The Report Card with the Professor. And the Report Card we get out every day. We look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the smart, the stupid, what people say, what people do. We take the stories. We take the anecdotes. We take the social media comments, and we take the voices, and we attach grades to it. We do this every day with Curtis Rogers. And so, Curtis, let's get going. What do we have? Well, John, let's start with a pair of, of controversial hires in Major League Baseball over the last couple days. Uh, let's start in Detroit as this agreement is is nearing the finish line. That would be the Detroit Tigers expecting to hire former Astros manager A.J. Hinch uh, a, a full year after his suspension was handed down for Major League Baseball for his role in the banging scheme. Hinch, obviously, with a tremendous track record of winning in Houston, uh, the questions remain whether or not it was done under uh, you know honest circumstances. How are we grading the Tigers, a team clearly on the rebuild in Major League Baseball, going out and getting maybe the best available manager? I'll, I'll give it a C because, again, it's like you still have to think he didn't have authority on that team to overrule what the players were doing, or at least he was part of it, and he deserved a suspension. But I think that question still has to be there because it's like, okay, he's a good manager. Obviously, he's had great success in Houston. But you know, it's like, can you totally control your players? And you have to wonder about that, I think. So I'm going to give it a C. C right in the middle. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a C plus. Uh, there are a lot of villains from the Houston Astros story over the last year plus. I don't think AJ Hinch is going to be one that many people want to throw stones at beyond, I guess, this season. I mean, obviously, what he did was wrong, and he may or may not have had a role in it. He and he definitely turned a blind eye to it and and you know but he did say hey guys let's stop this right now he did say that under testimony with major league baseball but to go to a from a team like the astros to the tigers and the tigers have been at the bottom of the american league for about the last five or six years now uh it's going to be an uphill climb for him and that tigers organization hopefully they don't uh, develop some sort of uh, outside the box scheme and how to decipher pitches and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Gonna be uh, gonna be an interesting hire over in Detroit. And then sticking in the same division, John, the Chicago White Sox, a team that actually made the playoffs this year, and they have one of the best young rosters in all of baseball. Well, they have hired 76 year old Tony Larusa, who has not managed since 2011 uh, when the St. Louis Cardinals won the World Series. He's going to be their new manager now. LaRusso's personality, very ornery. He is a uh, no-nonsense kind of guy. And this is a White Sox team that has a lot of young, bright personalities on it. Now, people, White Sox fans especially, not really happy with the hire. But the crazy part about this story is Jerry Reinsdorf, who has owned the White Sox organization for a long time now. He also owns the Chicago Bulls. And as we learned in the Last Dance documentary, he likes to meddle. He likes to get in uh, to how the organizations are operating and throw his weight around a little bit. In an interview a year ago, he was asked about Tony La Russa potentially managing the Chicago White Sox. This is with Graham Bensinger. Uh, and Reinsdorf said he did not want Tony La Russa as his manager. Here's that audio. You know, he's won three World Series and uh, uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. And so, what? you know, there's no reason to go back to to managing and, and and have to try to deal with people who are 22 years old when you're 75 years old. Quite the change of heart from Jerry Reinsdorf. How are we grading that audio? Yeah, I'm going to give it uh, a D. I mean, 70s. I mean, first off, a young team trying to identify with a 76 year old crusty manager. I just think uh, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, again, you know, we're watching in football that you know. 
the the Bill Belichick's, Pete Carroll's, and all that stuff in their 60s still can identify, do things with the players. You know, Bruce Arians is doing it, and so that's okay. But 76 years old, and particularly, in the, and again, I know this is one of the things that kind of irritates me as a Hall of Fame voter, is that, uh, you know, Bill Parcells was being promoted as one that's like, okay, I'm done, I'm not going to coach again, and then you vote him into the Hall of Fame, then he comes back and coaches, and it's like, okay, well, we didn't vote him in, we put a five-year window to wait, but, you know, in the case of La Russa, it's like, okay, what are we doing here? I, 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 I give it a D. Yeah, and I wonder just how much longer he's going to manage the White Sox. This can't be a, a move you're looking Hope at. Hope he didn't sign a five-year deal. Exactly. This is not somebody you're going to have around for 10 years, because if you do, he's going to be approaching 90 years old at that, at that point. This is a move that the White Sox, I think, are hoping to maximize their title window. I, I would imagine with this move, they're thinking maybe within the next two or three seasons, but it just it's very head-scratching to me that a team with this much future, and th- this is a core group of players that's going to be around for you know five, six, seven more seasons together, it just it doesn't really make sense. I'm going to give the hire about a, a D-plus because it just seems to me it's going to be like oil and water. Yeah. Finally, John, on the report card last night, Matt Ryan scoring a rushing touchdown, something he doesn't normally do. Here's here's that a highlight. Ryan gets it, moves to the right. He's got some room to run. He's going to run it inside the 10, inside the 5, angles for the pylon, and he is in, standing up. Touchdown, Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons. A rare touchdown run. 13 yards from Matt Ryan. Uh, you know, he's not exactly the fleetest of foot, and he was asked about that in his postgame press conference. Uh, here's the question and his answer. And you know when you're, you got about 31 yards uh, rushing on the season uh, into this game and you end up with almost that in this game, uh, you know it provides a spark to the guys, right? They, they love seeing you get after it and get those you know, hard-eated first downs. I can't tell if they're laughing at me or like, you know, or, or just having a good time and, and excited for it. But, uh, you know, they're, they're always good when we get them. And, and um, yeah, I think guys get fired up by, it, you know, showing that, you know, there's there's different ways to get the job done. I mean, Matt Ryan couldn't tell that they're laughing at him. But, John, I, I think as people who have watched sports, yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they were laughing at his running style. Yeah, are we grading uh, Matt Ryan? Uh, we'll give it we'll give it a B plus because again, it's like uh, you know to do something like that catches him off guard. I still remember when uh, you know Ben Roethlisberger was when Todd Haley as the offensive coordinator. Uh, Ben's one of the best as far as you know just pushing over the pile and getting a one yard touchdown, and he would not let uh, Ben do it or Audible to do it or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I, but I think it's great that in the mobile Matt Ryan joking about the idea, it's like okay, he gets a running touchdown and his teammates may be laughing. So I'm going to give it a B plus. Yeah, I'll give Matt Ryan a, an A for that answer because uh, he's been around the game for yeah. for as long as he has. We all know his style. He's, he's a he's a classic pocket passer, and anytime a quarterback like that gets going, whether it be Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, somebody like that, it almost looks like they're running backwards out there. But uh, shout out to him for getting that rushing touchdown, and uh, that is it for today's report card, John. Okay, be sure to check out the professor's notes at seven ten sports dot com. The professor's notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to get on the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line and get the text questions you can text us to 710 710 john clayton show 710 espn seattle it's john clayton power through the alaska airline studio two hours every day 10 to noon streaming live at 710sports.com on demand on the 710 seattle sports app it is time to go on a busy heart seltzer text line and take your text questions text us at 710 710 so curtis what do we have 
John, this one comes to us from the 253. They say, other than Stephon Gilmore, what uh, what pieces do you think New England could shop at the deadline? Well, I mean, not much a wide receiver, that's for sure. <laughs> not going to get anything there. You know, the, the one, and again, I don't know if it's, it, it, it could... Uh, work because again it's like 14.1 million dollars joe thuney the guard who's on the franchise tag you know that could be a possibility because uh, it's, it's a big number and all that stuff you know i don't know if a team needs a running back i mean would james wright uh, white be a candidate i mean that could be a possibility i'd say sony michelle but uh, he's on the COVID list and so he's probably not going to be uh, you know going anywhere uh so i'd say offensive lineman there's nothing to shop at tight end wide receiver i'll tell you the one thing that uh, if you're in need of a coverage cornerback and that's just not stefan gilmore but they have two other cornerbacks that are really good in coverage and so you know i think i'd be calling on those two guys this one comes to us from the 253. John, speaking of those Patriots, they want to know, do you think they bounce back against Buffalo this week? I do not. I don't I just don't see it. It's like they they go there and it's going to be a buzzsaw because you know, you know there's no fans in the stands or anything of that nature, but I think what you can see is that uh, you know they're going against a, a team right now. Again, it's going to be tough I think for Josh Allen to try to beat the cornerbacks, but now if uh, Gilmore doesn't play because of the knee injury, then that could be a big issue uh, because again, they're going to be more vulnerable, but I think that you know he can take advantage of the underneath routes and things like that because they got issues in the front seven. You know, still the Bills defense has given up more yards and more points. Boy, that sounds like something familiar here in Seattle. Seattle than everybody expected, but uh, you know I think that they can contain because you know if now what you have is kind of a uh, inconsistent Cam Newton with just the running game and very limited in the passing sets, then I think this could be one. Because one thing I think you can see is going to be hard for the Patriots to outscore the Bills. The Bills can outscore the Patriots. From the two five three, John, they want to know uh, what is the last day a team can make a trade and have them eligible to play in the following weekend's game technically it would be monday because if you get the guy going through the program but again you'd have to make it early in the day so we'd have the ability to fly into the city and start COVID testing and so monday would be that day because if it goes to tuesday the six days would then go until the next monday so monday would be one of the keys that's why and i know mike florio brought this up over the weekend and i thought it was a good thought that he thought most trades had to be done by wednesday or thursday what this tells me is that there's probably not going to be very many trades because again now what you're talking about is players for week 10 and not necessarily week nine if you execute the deal on tuesday 425 wants to know john how can seattle contain george kittle if jamal adams is a scratch Ha, uh, you know what i think what they have to consider now again that's why ugo amadi is going to be so important to get out there i mean i think that you almost have to you know consider you know putting a cornerback on him and of course that's not going to be big size uh you know it's going to be tough, I think, if you do with Ryan Neal on him. And so, uh, you know, that is going to be a challenge. There's no question about it because, you know, they'll probably have to do some very different type of defenses to do it because, you know, Kittle has the ability to saw in one game to get 15 passes. And, you know, they're so thin right now at wide receiver, you know, but I think what they have to do and which probably means a little bit more zone is kind of finding a way to have a second guy over there to double team him. 425 wants to know who has more value on Seattle's roster moving forward, Ryan Neal or Trey Flowers? Mm, I mean, I still think it's Trey Flowers because I know he's having a bad year. He didn't do as well last year, and it's been a struggle, but I still think that he's a talent. Ryan Neal has done a great job of filling in, but I think the value is still there in Flowers. 
206 wants to know, John, what is the greatest funk band of all time in your opinion? Hmm, I'd still have to go with James Brown and the Horny Horns. I mean, that to me, and it's funny because, I mean, I still remember, uh, you know, when I was down in Nags Head, North Carolina, and I heard this, some of the greatest funk I've ever heard, and it was the... Uh, I go to the guys at the band, and you know, <laughs> and Maceo Parker was the guy I went to, and I said, "Boy, you sound like the Horny Horns," because we are the Horny Horns. JB just fired us, and so, <laughs> and that's when you know James Brown even went funkier because he ended up going ahead and uh, trying to you know get uh, go to Cincinnati and get more funk in there. And so, yeah, it's like uh, I, I still think that's my favorite funk band. Three six zero wants to know, John. How many or how do you see Tua Tagovailoa performing against LA? I think it's going to be tough because here's what I'm concerned about: is that okay? He's the only left-handed quarterback we've seen now in the last couple of years, and so now the blind side is going to be protected by Jesse Davis, who's their weakest offensive lineman. You know, they still have four new offensive linemen from this year, and all those are those guys going to be able to double Aaron Rodgers or triple Aaron Rodgers and stop him? So I think that Aaron Rodgers is going to be in the pocket. That's going to make it tough. And then, uh, you know, it's, I, I just think that there's a big advantage right now, you know, with uh, Donald and Brockers going against that offensive line. This one comes to us from the 509. John, they want to know what's your prediction for the Ravens and Steelers. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking uh, upset. You know, I guess the safe way to do it is say, you know, 27-24 Baltimore. But I, I just have the feeling that this could be the upset. Okay, okay. 425 wants to know, John, who do you think comes out in that battle for the hotly contested NFC East lead Dallas or Philly? I think it's Philly. I mean, you know, Philly goes in there with Ben Danuzzi as quarterback this week. Now, again, they haven't totally ruled out uh, Andy Dalton because of the concussion, but he's not doing anything this right now. And Jerry Jones seemed pessimistic on his radio show this week. So I tend to think, you know, now you got Ben Danuzzi, four new offensive linemen, you know, horrible secondary and a bad defense that now has shedded three players this week on their defense. And so I, I just think that uh, Philly, as banged up as they are, is that uh, I think they can pull off the victory. Dallas is beat up too, but Dallas right now is a terrible team. 360 wants to know, John. How do you th- or what's your feeling on Jamal Adams' availability on Sunday? I, uh, we talked about this earlier, and what I'm wondering is that do you do kind of save the roster spot on him and put him in as an emergency guy if you need him, and then you test it out? And you know, because again, they have to make the decision 90 minutes before the game, you know, who's in and who's out. But uh, you know, maybe have him available, but then make the judgment right before kickoff whether he can play. This one from the 425, John, they want to know, uh, do you think the Jets will cover the 19.5-point no, the No, yeah. I, don't. I don't. I don't see it. I mean, uh, you know, Crowder's going to be out at wide receiver. I think there's questions about Perryman. They're not enough at wide receiver. I mean, the only thing they, they can cover is kind of putting a cover on their head and going to sleep. Uh, and then, uh, let's see here, this one from the... 206. They want to know, John, we're halfway through the season. Do you think Earl Thomas plays in the 2020 season? Mm, I'm tending to doubt it. I, you know, it's like, you know, you, you saw the comments made by Eric Reed. You know, the Redskins lose Landon Collins and uh, with an Achilles tear, and they, they call him Ron Rivera because they played. He had him down in Carolina and says, okay, can you come to the practice squad? And he said, I'm not coming to the practice squad. That's, that's an insult to me. He's like, I don't want to do that. I'm more of a practice squad. But, but I, I was going through the last two, three weeks, and I think there's only been one or two players that, uh, you know, get a 
vested veteran guys, guys five years in the league or more, that didn't go through the practice squad to get on a roster. And I get the feeling Earl Thomas is going to be one of those that says, I'm not going to go on a practice squad. So I'd say no. Then, then finally, John, tomorrow is Halloween, so the 206 wants to know, what was your favorite candy to get while trick-or-treating growing hmm, up? I, I still, I mean, not that you get it all the time, but it's like, a, you know, I still like the, uh, the ones that would give you the Mike and Ikes, because I like Mike and Ikes so much. You know, you, you, you know like in every stop, you were going to be able to get Reese's Cups, you know, Reese's Pieces and all that mm-hmm. stuff. You know, that, that's, that's okay. Milk Duds were uh, kind of a nice one to get, too, but uh, my, my favorite is the one you get Mike and Ikes. What's about, what about yours? Uh, I, I've got to go with Snickers and Reese's Cups. Yeah. Those are my two. Mm-hmm. You, if I find those in my trick-or-treating bag as a kid, I am all about those. So that, are you going to go out and get dressed up and go around? No. I, I, I can barely walk right now, yeah, Professor. That's true. It's, yeah. it's not going to be easy. Uh, that, that, that boots... The boots made for not walking. That, that's just what this one will do. Uh, <laughs> that is it for text questions, Professor. Okay, coming up next, we're going to get together with our daily dose of the Graz with Dave Grosby, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. It is time for our Daily Dose of the Garage with Dave Grosby, and actually, we'll get into football in a few minutes, but boy, some of the baseball things to open up, I guess. What's your thoughts on the hiring in Chicago with the White Sox of 76-year-old Tony La Russa? wonder if Luke Pinello's phone is ringing. <laughs> Could be. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a very strange move on paper, and it's a, I mean, I, 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 I'm surprised to say the very least i mean the white Sox were a team in ascension this year and then made the you know made, made a really had a very good season you know with a lot of great young players uh la has been out of the game specifically for a while but you know i mean you know we, we see we see older coaches having success so maybe this will work i mean it, it just it, it caught me completely by surprise and and like i said the first thing i thought it was luke Pinello, i think is about the same age but i don't think as any interest in coming back and coaching? So we'll we'll see how this plays out. But this is this is the Dusty Baker effect, uh, mm-hmm. is what I'll call it, John. When when the Astros hired him, and and you know he just did such a great job of stewarding them uh, this year at age seventy one. So well, we'll call it the Dusty Baker effect, and we'll wish old Tony luck. Very strange, though. I mean, you just kind of shake your head. I mean, how do you think at seventy six he's going to be identified with the young players on that team? Well, it's not so much that. It's it's um, you know the game is different and, and uh you know as we've seen it it's uh it's based on unsaver metric it's based on general managers uh you know having a lot of input into, into what game strategy is I, i'm just i'm not sure how the whole thing fits so uh i uh, you know i mean i don't think it'll be that difficult for him to relate to players believe it or not not in baseball but um you know to relate to the game the way it's played now i'm, I'm gonna I'll, you know i'll wait and see i just it's a, it's a very curious choice, to say the very least. Oh, no doubt. I mean, and very, very unusual. So it's like, uh, you know, now we'll have to just see how that does. And the other hiring yesterday, A.J. Hinch, who, of course, uh, was suspended for the year because of all the uh, cheating and stuff that was going on with the Astros. Uh, what's your thoughts on that hire? He's a good manager. I mean, you know, he was. So I, I, I mean, I, if you're asking me if, if I thought it was a good move or was he going to get a chance, I mean, he... He served his penalty, and once he did, you know, he was going to get another chance. So, um, not in my book, I guess the general feeling would be not a surprise that he's getting another chance to manage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, how, how do you think he would do? How good of a manager is he? <laughs> That's an excellent question, John. I mean, 
look, Houston's a, a very good team, and, and you know he was there during a time when they were when they were obviously good, and and you know you, you kind of that's a question when when you don't have a lot of experience managing, or you've only been in one place uh, for for most of your career, you, you, you can only answer by taking another job. So we shall see is the answer to that one. We'll, we'll see how he plays out, but you know he did a very good job in Houston. I mean, you know, the, sure we know he had the edge and everything like that, but handled the lineup well, handled the pitching staff well, so. You know, he's, he looks like he's a good manager. We'll see if, we'll see if he actually acts like one this year. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, that's going to be interesting. Now, of course, uh, this weekend is going to be sorting through the injuries for both the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks to right. see who's going to play and who's not. I mean, Seahawks could be down three running backs, kind of like very similar to what was happening last year. But, you know, at the moment, there's no replacements. Uh, you know, there's DJ Dallas. Uh, you can maybe take Nick Valore. But if Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde – uh, although Travis Homer looks like he's going to be able to play despite that knee yeah, injury. Yeah, uh, and I then saw you look- Pete Carroll say that to Dave Wyman today on over on our sister station. So you've got him back, but you're right. You're you're extremely thin there, and that's uh, uh, that leads to one conclusion, doesn't it, John? Mm-hmm. And that conclusion Russell will is- be cooking. Yes, no question. I think I mean there's almost no choice. They have to try to have Russell Cook because because uh, they have, as Pete even said early in the week, you know, for this one they're going to have to be creative. Because, you know, you don't know. I'm, I'm, one of the things I'm kind of wondering about, would they take Chris Carson with that midfoot injury and maybe just have him active if emergency purposes are needed? Or if indeed, because again, you know, they must have thought that uh, there's a way to get through this because they didn't bring in a running back to the practice squad this week on Monday. And, uh, you know, and uh, or at least they couldn't. I know that, you know, they're getting Alex Collins ready for next week on the practice right. squad. But uh, there's no practice squad running back that be activated. Well, I mean, this, you know, just talking about this series for a second, it should have been played three times last year. The third one should have been the NFC Championship game. Those were the two uh, arguably best games of the year last year. Just fantastic football played by these two teams. And, and both of them have got injuries coming in. Uh, you know, Devo Samuel is a huge loss for the 49ers. Uh, is, you know, not that Jimmy Garoppolo throws to him deep downfield, but he can throw those little flare passes and he gets yardage for him. Now it's uh, a lot more pressure on George Kittle from the Seahawks' defensive standpoint. I mean, I think that their job is pretty clear, man. You you load up the line, you dare Garoppolo to beat you to the outside, you, you double-team Kittle as best you can, and you see what you can do. And, and from the 49ers' standpoint, I mean, you, you, you're not worried about the Seahawks' running game on paper. It's, it's to try and stop Russell Wilson from cooking. you got two undersized corners uh, against uh, Lockett and D.K. Metcalf, who seems to be poised to have a, a, a big game. I mean, this, this on, on paper with the injuries factoring everything in and, you know, not knowing who's going to be back and who's not at this point, but having some idea, it looks like a great game to me. Yeah, it does. I, I think, it, and, and you know, division games usually are going to be uh, much closer than the other games, and I think this is going to be the case in this one because then, and and again, you go back last year, and you know, Seattle, I thought wasn't as talented as San Francisco, but yet they should have won that game were it not for the non-call on Jacob Hollister on the interference in the end zone. And so uh, you look at it, it's like okay, uh, you know, the 49ers aren't as good as they were last year. They've lost too many pieces on the defensive line. No Richard Sherman. You know, we're Receiving cores all banged up, uh, running back positions all banged up. I do think that you know Seattle does have the best chance to win. Well, well you know the thing about the 49ers running back core is it is like as we noticed last last week, it is it's extremely deep. I mean they've yeah. got a lot of players uh, back there, and uh, including uh, was McCarty Hasty, a rookie who, who may get a chance to to burst into people's living rooms over the weekend. So I mean they're gonna. 
they're going to try and do what, what what teams have been doing, which is control that that Seahawks defense. Um, you know, we'll see. It's just uh, it's a, it's a fascinating matchup on paper. It's it's one you know I, I like to try and go against the grain when I can, but everyone's calling for a shootout, and I'm I'm surprised. I, I just can't see a way that it's not really, unless San Francisco runs the ball so effectively they keep the Seahawks off the, off the field, have a you know twice the time of possession, forty to twenty, something like that, which I don't think they can do because I don't think Garoppolo is that good and that consistent. Um, they, they've had their injuries, like you talked about, but are off a couple of good wins. Um, the, the Seahawks are, are usually very, very good, especially since Russell Wilson's been there. After a, a regular season loss, uh, they usually bounce back. So uh, this one is, is, is just, just looks on paper to be just a terrific game. Yeah, it really does. And, of course, and other quick uh, updates as far as that goes. What's your thoughts on Baltimore and Pittsburgh? Yeah, I mean, that, that's uh... – I'm not, I don't want to say back to the best rivalry in football. It never left, did it, John? No, it never did. I mean, the other ones have jumped in and out, uh, but this one has been consistently the best. I thought it was fascinating. This is this is what now the twenty twenty fifth, twenty sixth time it's been Harbaugh versus Tomlin. Uh, they're 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 fairly close in that matchup. Um, two really good teams. Um, you know, two teams that that uh, have a lot of familiarity with each other, a lot of venom for each other. Of course, the original Browns franchise. Um, you know, Pittsburgh is doing everything. That that um, you need to do to be undefeated. You know the Ravens have have, have bounced back from their playoff disappointment uh, last year. Uh, I, it's 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 anyone's game. I think I think I like Baltimore a little bit, but but this is obviously the marquee game of the week. That's our daily dose of the Gros with Dave Grosby. Dave, uh, what do you have on the agenda this weekend? Well, let's see. I'm I'm going to be on with uh, with our pal Curtis on his show with uh, with uh, Taylor tomorrow at 10:30. How about that? That'll be great. And of course, After uh, you're on the air. Yeah, of course, I'll be on from 8 to 10, taking your phone calls, and Seattle Sports Saturday on from uh, 10 to 12. Uh, Dave, have a good weekend, and we'll talk on Monday. John, you too, boy. Be safe. Okay, and Curtis uh, Rogers, of course, you'll be on Seattle Sports Saturday from 10 to 12. What do you have on the show? Well, yeah, we got Graz, and we're going to do our best to preview this 49ers Seahawks game coming up on Sunday. It's sort of the last uh, live and local conversation before that game gets going on Sunday. So uh, we're going to do our best here, John. Okay, and don't forget we have the golf show at uh, 12, too, coming up. And a big uh, Saturday with a lot of local programming and some uh, stuff that we highlighted during the week. And, of course, we'll be back on Saturday tomorrow at 8 to 10 and Monday at 10. John Clayton Show, 710.